Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 44. The power of animals, especially horses, have had a huge impact on my next guest. So much so, it changed her life. Melissa Vache lives on an 18-acre ranch in Tierra del Alma with her many animals known as a herd, consisting of three horses, one mule, three dogs, and numerous foster cats. On this ranch, located in a sleepy town in Hondo, New Mexico, life is typically very peaceful, which is far from the life she experienced while in her addiction with drugs and alcohol. After treatment, therapy, support groups, and self-exploration, Melissa now has 25 years in recovery and has established a lifestyle she's always dreamed of, filled with expansiveness and more freedom. Her love of the horses resulted in learning how to ride with international equestrian Hilary Merrill for over nine years and has been influenced and educated by Mustang Matt and Hilary Hansen. With this experience, Melissa also became a certified equus coach, offering workshops, clinics, and in-person and remote coaching using the power of horses, helping people reconnect with themselves in a profound way. Take a listen. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Maylee. It's good to see you too. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. What was life like before recovery? Oh, she's diving right in. <laughs> um, before recovery is kind of a twofold question for me mm-hmm. because I feel like, well, now I have had two before recoveries. Mm-hmm. When I think about my recovery in a collective number, there's two part, there's two recoveries that have happened for me. Mm-hmm. So in early, early recovery, which would be um, I was about 22, 23. Mm-hmm. So how many years ago would that be? So like 30 years ago, mm-hmm. somewhat a little over 30 years ago. Um, life before recovery for me was a near death experience. Um, I guess, you know, starting with like early tragic deaths in my life as a child, And then moving into just sort of self-management as a teenager, that led me to running with some pretty hard folks and finding home and safety within those groups. So I was very into the punk rock scene. We were very angry. We were very outspoken. (laughs) We had lots of political views. And I was very into art making. And these things all really worked well for me because I was very angry and that worked for a long time. That worked, you know, some heavy drinking and, and heavy drug using, but it wasn't interfering. And then sometime, sometime after a few years, um, that unfolded into heavy, heavy crystal meth, which really was a gateway to me for heavy, heavy heroin. So, you know, I always have, it's always interesting when people talk about their drug use. And for me, it was much more of a slow roll, if you will. Mm -hmm. Although the pace of that time of my life was pretty fast, Mm -hmm. but 
it wasn't just like, oh, one day I picked up heroin and there I was. The evolution. Was, yeah. mm -hmm, there was an evolution, but heroin really worked for me. It really, it really, really worked for me. It really quieted my anxiety, my sadness, my fear. Um, yeah. And it helped me. It really helped me for a long time. Um, well, you know, not for a long time. I was probably a full-blown heroin addict for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. It was very fast, heavy, and furious. Um, once I went, I went hard. How much detail do you want to know? How much detail do you want to give? Well, I guess uh, I don't talk about this phase of my life. It was so long ago. Um, I married a man who I was very much in love with. We got in a lot of trouble together, legal trouble. He went to prison and I went to rehab. Um, and that's how I got clean. How did that he, come about, by the way, the rehab part? How did rehab come about? That was the agreement that him and I had, that I he see. would get clean and because we committed a crime together and he he went to prison for it. And our agreement was that I would go to rehab, although it was something that we had got into together. He kept his agreement and I kept mine. Then what um, happened? I went to, uh, I went to desert hot springs. So I went to the Palm Springs area and I went to a rehab there and I stayed for three months in rehab. And then I did a transitional facility after that. I did mm -hmm. the rehabs transitional facility after that for another three months. And then I lived in sober living with another girl. So I really stayed connected to that sober community. Right. And my partner at the time, he was in prison about two hours from there. Mm -hmm. And I continued for the next they gave him five years and they gave him 10 years and I, and he did five. And for five years, I kept, we kept our commitment to each other. He stayed clean. I visited, we were very much a couple. Um, and I, he stayed clean. I stayed clean Wow. for the next five years. I didn't stay in the desert for the next five years. What I, what happened for me was I got very involved in school. I wanted to make art I was doing my, I was doing my, um, what is it? Junior college there, <laughs> but I wanted to move back to San Diego <clears throat> and finish my junior college and then move to San Francisco and study art in San Francisco. And that was my bigger picture at that time. Um, and I was really at that time. And for a long time, I was very much fearful, scared, mm -hmm. anxious, shameful, and sober. Um, I hid everything about like my past. Mm -hmm. I hid the whole situation, most of the situation that I was in from coworkers and people around me. And that was a little bit indicative of how I lived that sober life mm -hmm. for like the next 15 years. In hiding. In hiding, yes. Because the um, fear... anyways, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's interesting. So living in hiding, you were protecting what? I was protecting myself. What people would think, judgment. Yeah. You know, I was just very concerned on what people would think and being judged. I didn't have 
the core stability that I have now in this next recovery that I'm in now at that time, I did not have it. Mm-hmm. I tried, it was not for lack of trying. It was not lack of, for lack of therapy or groups or any of that. It just, it just wasn't there for me. Mm-hmm. So I did stay with that gentleman and he is sober today for many, many years. And, um, I am as well, um, by the, by the grace of God. And I will I will quote AA and NA on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not a big, I don't go to meetings. I haven't for many, many years, but um, it just kind of came out like, because that's the story of him and I was brutal and tragic and mm-hmm. we both got through it. Oh, um, I did, I did, we did part ways. I wanted to move to San Francisco. Uh, he wanted to go back to San Diego. He wasn't ready to fully, sever ties with old things and I was very much like I need to get the hell out of here (laughs) I I don't want anything to do with this and um some of that was I just am too shameful I don't want a part of it and and a lot of it was I want to move to San Francisco and I want to be an artist so you know we parted ways he you know he went on his way and his Mm -hmm. journey and his path and I went on mine and we are still very good friends today wow so tell me about the second, the second kind of perspective of, of recovery, because that was the first. So that was the first. And in the interim between that second, the second recovery was um, excel, achieve, excel, achieve. And you will be further and further away from that shameful past. Mm-hmm. And I lived that for... I don't know, the next 15 years, Um, you know, 4.0 in college, master's degree, Mm 4.0, you know, every award, every achievement I could get, I got, and I did really well. And I enjoyed life, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I, but that was a whole, the way I see that now is I'm not sorry for that. I mean, I'm, I'm pleased with all of the achievements that I did, Mm -hmm. but a lot of that was a collection of putting a wall between who I was like if I could achieve and excel and get many awards and get 4.0 then I might not be the person that I was before it worked for a while Mm -hmm. it worked for a while (laughs) sure (laughs) and I did what I wanted to do you know I was sober I studied art I got an art degree I got my degree in educational art I went on to get a master's I taught kids. I taught teachers how to integrate art. I did research on art integration and how we learn. And I did the whole conference circuit and researched and published and did all of that and loved all of that Mm -hmm. very, very much. And then abandonment happened, which triggered trauma for me. And I relapsed Mm -hmm. in a really big way, which brings us to our second recovery. Right which I think was your question. Yeah. So are we talking about what is, what, what is my second recovery? Like mm-hmm. is the that one that you're at? living in more recently, right? So that probably was like an evolution as well. It was a huge evolution and it completely has changed my life and my relationship with myself and the freedom that I experienced today and the absence of shame that I live with 
without today, without the shame. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a breakup of a marriage of 10 years. There was a lot of trauma, which triggered, well, there was abandonment issues, which triggered trauma. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had left teaching was sort of exploring, re-exploring hospitality and my love of food and my love of entertaining and creating these environments for people. Um, but that was really easy to access alcohol. So my second recovery was a slow roll of alcohol into, I should have died and ended up in recovery and well, ended up in recovery in, in a rehab and left rehab because I was probably going to die and then didn't, and then went back out and got a DUI and then went back into rehab. Mm -hmm. So that for me, <clears throat> I mean, I really didn't know. I, I can't say like that did this for me, that event happened and I knew what I was wanted to do or didn't want to do. I just tried, I just tried really hard to live. And I had a really good therapist at the time. And we were able to, she was really able to connect with me on a deep, deep level. And we did a lot of trauma work through imagery and reflection. Um, and really kind, we really followed that thread and went through the trauma work. And for me, I believe that that gave me the recovery that I have now which is a very different kind of recovery. Um, I got to fashion my own life. I got to build and recreate my own, my own vision, my, what I feel is kind of like my true vision because I didn't go into it with needing to achieve or prove. Mm. I went into it with, well, it evolved as, this sort of uncovering and peeling back. How did I want to live? How did I want my life to be? What did I want my life to look like? And that's what I've done for the last eight years is just, I've kept following that thread based on all the safety stuff we worked on and um, sort of buttoning up and finishing up that trauma stuff and moving away from shame and fear how profound that must be to have that freedom. Well, I'm sitting here right now and I'm looking out my office window onto 18 acres of expansive land and and sort of remember, which is mine. I own it here in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. I live with my three horses and my three dogs and, and my mother is with me as well. Um, and the expansiveness, the word expansiveness was a word that I followed for some years in that early recovery and working through the trauma. Um, it was a key term for me. And now I get to look out my window and that's what I live in. I live in expansiveness. It's so striking, and I appreciate you kind of sharing these different parts of your life um, that has created your dream world, your expansive world. So it was quite a shift because you actually didn't live in New Mexico earlier on. 
Um, you were actually where? Where did you live before New Mexico? Always in California. So I was I was born and raised in San Diego and uh-huh. my early extravaganza of <laughs> using was all based in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Northern California to the Bay Area when I originally got sober. Uh-huh. And I just left California about three and a half years ago uh-huh. and came to New Mexico. So how did that come about? This moving from a city, I mean, you went to these various cities, right? And really quite a city person to come to a very quiet town, um, Hondo, New Mexico, which is absolutely quiet and small. So what, what led you to do that? I mean, it's quite a shift. Yeah. So it, it, um, it wasn't, it didn't happen like, oh, I'm going to move to New Mexico. That That's not how it happened. The best thing I could tell you would be in that trauma work, we used a lot of imagery. Um, I guess it's twofold. Like I lived on a dairy farm in early recovery this last time um, in a tiny house and I loved it. And who would have known? Because before I could never really be alone at all. Like I really needed my partner with me, people around me, mm-hmm. although I wasn't able to be vulnerable with any of that or trust any of that, but I, I was really had a hard time being alone. Mm-hmm. And so in early recovery, when I moved up to the dairy farm and lived on that in the little tiny house, I just, I found that I loved it. I loved it. Um, And also during that work, that time of work and introspection, there was this image that kept coming up along with the word expansiveness. There was an image of a little old travel trailer, like the kind of rounded ones. That's just like one room and a horse tied to it. And that image comes up in my head when people ask me like, how did you end up here? And I'm like, well, I think it started there. (laughs) I think it started with that image of the horse and the little (laughs) round travel trailer. Um, I didn't know I was coming to New Mexico, but I started spinning these dreams of expansiveness and moving, moving somewhere out of a city. And during recovery, I, found horses and I found my BLM Mustang Rue, my heart horse. Mm. And then it became Rue and I and my dog moving somewhere expansive. And sometimes the dream looked like us traveling like gypsies. Sometimes it looked like us in one place, but I didn't really know. Um, but I, but I think the important piece for me to talk about with that is that just following that thread of possibility, believing in possibility, exploring possibility. We don't know where it's going to take us. There was not a plan to come here, but all of that had already been churning around. And so the, the stones were being laid. Um, so I ended up here because and a, and a life event happened. My mom got ill. Um I was taking care of her, my horse, and working in a Michelin star restaurant in Sonoma County. And I couldn't, I just, I didn't want to, it was too much for me to do. 
I didn't want to have my life like that. So I needed to gather us all up and be in one place. And I had um, my family's from New Mexico and I'd spent a lot of my childhood years here. And I could remember the sense of the, the senses, the smell, the taste, the textures of New Mexico that mm-hmm. I loved. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, um, it was a place I could come that was expansive. It was doable and it wasn't too far of a leap because now I had another responsibility, which was taking care of my mom. Mm-hmm. So I figured I could safely do this. So I followed that thread and packed us all up and moved us all here. (laughs) Not an easy task for sure, but it sounds like it was almost like full coming full circle. What what would you say to that? I think it's absolute. It absolutely came full circle because my, my explorations of possibility were already pointing at something like this. And I had enough wherewithal to trust that, it would work out that I would find a place to land. I didn't know where I was going when I knew I wanted to move, but then, you know, life happens and I was able to follow that thread and, and land here. Well, not land here. I chose to be here. It's such intention, you know, and, and so much uncertainty. It, it, there's so many parts of that story where a lot of, I mean, when I hear your story, it's like, oh, oof, that sounds scary. Oh, man, how do, how do you do that? Because there's so many unknowns. I mean, yes, part of that's life, but knowing your work and how you kind of redefined and reimagined your life to be with the, in the sense of expansiveness and the search and quest of possibility. But there was so much uncertainty. How did you manage that? <laughs> the move itself, like being here, coming here? Sure. There's or so many parts of it. Of it. I know. <laughs> you, well, pick one. I could, I could, I'll, so right. arriving here and being on this property, which is a horse property, mm-hmm. and it... Um, I was scared for the whole first year. I I mean, literally I woke up like with my chest, like just how would I describe my chest? I would just wake up like with this ball in my chest at night. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like what the hell have I done? What the hell was I thinking? I mean, truly nothing was familiar here. I had been working with horses and really learning from some amazing people, some gals in California. And I was really prepared to have horses on my own, but at the same time, like nothing was familiar. The gate locks weren't familiar. The, the weather was not familiar. Nothing was familiar. So for the whole first year, I was scared. I wasn't in fear. Mm -hmm. It -hmm. was just scary. And how did I get, how did I get through that? Yeah. Explain that a little bit scary versus fear in that way. I think that's poignant. Well, I think scary for me is like, oh, that's scary, but that's like something, oh, now I can be, now if I learn it, I can become familiar with it and it's not scary anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Fear to me is like, that's not going to be fixed or I'm not going to learn 
learn it and it's not going to be fearful anymore. Fear is more, uh, what's the right word? Um, I want to say insidious, but I'm not sure if that's the right word. It's just more ingrained. It's not. There's some learning of experience with fear. I'm sorry. There's some learning around fear of what, what you're afraid of is different what, than what I'm afraid of. It's, some of that's learned, would you say? Yes, I, I guess. Yes. I, but I guess for me, when I think of fear, it's just, it's for me, fear is like, super heavy and I'm probably not going to move through that really easily based on my old recovery. Like it was so full of fear. Right. It was so fear filled and that's not how I live anymore. And that's not how I am. And it doesn't, so scary stuff doesn't hold me back. I could, I move through them. Fear holds me back. It doesn't hold me back anymore, but it did. Mm -hmm. Does that help? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so tell me a little bit about, first of all, how horses arrived in your life and became so significant. Like you mentioned finding Rue or Rue finding you. Who knows? Um, how did that start for you? Well, again, you know... It it's not like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, now I want to be around. Now I want to have a horse, like right. nothing, like everything kind of evolved for me. It, it wasn't like, Oh, I made this decision. And then that happened. It was really following the threads and trusting those threads and watching the work I was doing in my therapy at that time. Um, when I was living at the dairy farm, I just thought, you know, I'd like to take, I'd like to learn how to ride a horse. And that's really all it was. I'd like to learn how to ride a horse in, in, in rehab that last time, um, we did do an equine therapy session that was very moving, but it wasn't, it was very moving for me. And when I, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I can put those pieces together. Sure. But it wasn't like, oh, now I want to be an Equus coach or now I want right. to be around horses. It was just a very moving experience for me in in really early recovery. Um, and then, you know, in that first, I think it was the first year of recovery, I thought, oh, I just want to take some, I'd like to take some riding lessons. <laughs> and I looked and looked and looked for a place to take riding lessons. And I couldn't find any, although they were all around me. And mm -hmm. I just didn't know it. Um and then one day it was just so happenstance. I had met a friend in Petaluma and had lunch and they weren't from Petaluma. They were from the city and they were needing to go out to this ranch. And I said, oh, that road's right on my way home back to the dairy farm. I can lead you there. So we end up at this at this party on this horse, on this 300 acre horse ranch. And I'll never forget Natalie Guion. This was uh, Sonoma Coastal Equestrian Center. And I said, oh, I really want to take riding lessons. And she, and I and I told her I wanted to learn Western. And mm -hmm. she's this really inviting French lady who owns a CEC. She said, oh, you need to meet Hillary Merrill. You need to meet Hillary Merrill. She does horse archery. She she's, You need to do horse archery. That's what you need to do. And I was like, okay, because that's really where I was at. And that's where I still am at in my life. Okay. If that's resonating, I'll give it a, I'll give it a whirl. Why not? why not is also another significant, um, 
flag in my life. And so I met Hillary Merrill. I, I learned to do horse archery before I learned really to ride. If, if you're a rider, you would, it's, I learned horse archery and then I really truly learned to ride after that. Um, and just through that in within 12 months, I of course wanted my own horse. Um, Rue and I found each other and I kept training with Hillary Merrill until this day. We still do zoom training on, um, we still do zoom training together and, and she's a, one of my dearest friends mm-hmm. and that's how courses happened for me. Again, an evolution, just kind of things happen. And it, from the outside, it, it just sounds kind of happenstance and like, yeah, I just kind of ran into this and this felt good. Um, and maybe that's all true, but it's so serendipitous of kind of what you're doing now. All of these pieces, this evolution, organically derived, um, come together now because you're doing Equus coaching Tell me a little bit about how that came to be. Can I sidebar just one on one thing and um, address that happenstance? Yeah. Because I think it's really important that none of it was really happenstance. I'm a very conscious, deliberate decision maker. And just because... I ended up leading someone to a party and I was like, oh, they do horses here. And that happened. It was already all laid out, but I feel like, and I don't really get too woo woo, but the universe was like, oh, this is your place. And this is where Hillary is. And this is a whole Mm -hmm. next chapter of your life because the relationship with Hillary and horses really changed my life and my recovery. And I tear up as I say that because there was really nothing happenstance about it other than trusting the process and being having done the work that I could trust and be courageous enough to follow those happenstances that happened. Right. And I think that's an important distinction um, because as you know, most of us can be fairly unconscious doing things, you know, um, by how they feel. It could be impulsive or it could be very intentional um it sounds like you see this common thread the theme is this common thread and and it things happening in your life kind of guided you in this way the universe your faith your openness your flexibility to kind of be open to all these opportunities that you're that are before you and i and i think what makes this such a beautiful story is kind of how gentle, some of it not so gentle, sure, but some of it might have been fairly gentle on how you kind of arrived at where you are now at this ranch doing these co- this coaching kind of stuff. As you speak about this, it seems very clear now. Recovery and now leading to the life that you reimagined for yourself all and the the things and themes that came up for you it seems like a very beautiful path it has been a very it is a a beautiful path and um it has been very clear 
in my choices. It, the The road wasn't always clear and <laughs> right. there were choices. There were choices. There were things that, you know, I could have chose, but like I said, I will sit back and I will really take time and, and make a deliberate intentional decision. And some things didn't resonate and, and these things did that led me to here. So you had to trust yourself to do that. I had to hugely trust myself to mm-hmm. do that, which is something I, I think that I didn't do in my first recovery. I think I did. I did DID like quote on, you know, in quotation marks, I did a lot of things and achieved a lot of things, but there wasn't a huge trust. And, and here no... in this recovery, it's, it really is based on trusting myself. Mm-hmm. And would you describe that also as expansive? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and so with that, share a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, first of all, what is the ranch that you live on? The, as, as I've learned, ranches have names. So what, what, is, the, what, is, your, <laughs> what is your ranch name? After much deliberation, I named it Tierra del Alma, Land of the Soul. And just to kind of quickly circle back, like if I look through my imagery trauma journals, Tierra kept coming up for me in that imagery and my wording and um, during that time. So when I was searching for the right name for this ranch and it didn't happen for like a year and a half, it didn't have a name. I remembered Tierra and that I, and that, and what that word meant to me when I was doing that work. And I knew I wanted to include that. So just a little like, not really happenstance. Um, it all kind of keeps going back. So Tierra del Alma, Land of the Soul. That's um, that's the ranch name. It's 18 acres in the Hondo Valley in New Mexico. So it's a very gentle hillsides um, with water nearby. And are we talking now about what we do here at Tierra del Alma? Yes, but before we do, what came up for me is like the, the, the evolution and the work and the deep work that you did. Um, obviously painful, insightful, inspiring, you know, hard, all of that. And um, there are a lot of people who have dreams, like really like, oh, I wish I could do this and I wish I could do that. And in your process, you were imagining over some time of kind of what what this wrench has now become. What would you share with someone who, you know, in recovery or not, but wanting to, to really kind of fulfill what the possibilities are in their life, but terrified? I mean, this is not the absence. Just to be clear, Melissa, you did this not in the absence of fear, but it, despite it sometimes and in conjunction with it and through it how would you what would you share with someone who's like how how can I get through that to reach what I really want for myself right because you're right it was incredibly scary and and there were huge times of being fearful as I explored my way into this right um and it and it didn't it wasn't just la 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 and and here we are it was no. it, it was it was a definite <laughs> process and like oh my god i'm scared shitless what the right. hell what the hell is going on what did i what am i doing right um 
what would I say? I would say, oh, there's, I know, I would say trust the process. I would say stay with it. I would say ask why not rather than why. That was a huge one for me. Asking why not instead of why. Why not? You know, there's a, there's so much freedom in that. There's so much freedom in that simple little statement. Why not? And I still use that today. Like, well, why not? And if, and if there is a clear, like, well, this is why not, then there's <laughs> right, a, then, sure. then no, right. you know, but like really that why not is like, oh yeah, no, I, I can do this. Um, and it doesn't all happen at once. And it really is a process of, I think, uncovering these subtle things inside of you. I mean, for me, for me, it's, it, it was a lot about subtleties and, and that kind of would lead us into our next topic of uh, the transformational exodus project. But for me, like when I think about the fear that came that the fear and the scariness that came along with this process, like it was, it was subtle mm-hmm. um, and uncovering those subtle fears and working with them and working through them. So I could get to the next um unwinding of that ball of thread you know that just kept unwinding and I just kept following the thread and following the thread and and trusting and just trusting in myself Mm -hmm. despite all the like inner critic and fear and like all this other shit that we all like go through in our own head right that trust is big Who the hell do you think you are? That's a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Who the heck do you think you are? Um, How would you answer I that still, now? Huh? How would you answer that now? Well, I still work with that. You know, I work with it on different levels. And this, maybe this helps answer that question. Like, you know, moving, leaving California and coming to New Mexico. Who the hell do you think you are? You can't do that. Right. You can't just pick up and buy this ranch and sell everything in California and move. And who do you think you are? That's not going to work. How, how's that even going to work? And then, and then who the heck do you think you are? Um, you want to have three horses instead of one. And who the heck do you think you are? You want to do an Airbnb, a little casita. And so every time I expand a little more, I get to play with and dance with who the heck do you think you are? I love and we, that. and we have a little go around and a, do a little shuffle and, <laughs> and mostly I just keep going and the who the heck you are doesn't really ever go. It doesn't really go completely away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like I said, we have a little dance and then we work it out and then we do the next step. Mm-hmm. And then why not? And then why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now having all of these things, you have now become an equus part of you has become an Equus coach. Why not? And what is it? (laughs) (laughs) I know. (sighs) Oh, goodness. It's that's a really good question. What is Equus coaching? And it's one that I still haven't mastered my explanation of. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it is, is it's, it's, I, I think it's transformational life coaching with horses as your facilitator. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine like being in a coaching session and exploring something in your life, but having a horse standing next to you, 
and literally being a second coach. And I almost think not even a facilitator, like, well, you, the horse and I are facilitators, but the horse is just as much of the coach as I am. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of, I'm actually facilitating you and the horse, to Mm -hmm. be honest, Mm -hmm. Uh, asking, asking the appropriate, the, you know, open-ended questions and kind of guiding this scenario along, but it's really what's happening between you and the horse and you don't get on the horse and you don't ride the horse. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all on the ground and, and it's self-led it it's self-led by you, the client. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not leading you to a place. I think you need to go. The horse isn't, the horse is just going to answer, whoa, that resonates or, whoa, you're, I don't, I'm going to move way off because I'm, I'm not sure where you're at. And then we interpret what the horse is telling you, you interpret Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'll help. I'll guide that interpretation, but through really watching what the horse, how the horse responds and where the horse is at with you as we're exploring something together, it's, it's just crazy. The immediate feedback that a horse will give. So I feel like it, it really accelerates the coaching process. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that because it's it's like a mirror, right? A horse is kind of a mirror. Oh, they're a total mirror. And, and I also, and they also um, probably know more clearly when you are, when we are coming from a place that is true and right for ourselves and when we're not. And I'm not meaning right or wrong or in a judging way, mm-hmm. a horse just, so if I sit on my front porch, it's 50 feet away from my horses. My horse already can read my heartbeat. It already knows what my heartbeat is. And it probably already knows what kind of mood I'm in based on my heartbeat. Um, so when I get out there to feed, they already know, oh, mom's <laughs> mom's this or mom's that. Uh-huh. And they're going to do, the, and they do the same thing with you in an Equus coaching session. So if, if we're, if you're exploring something that might be a little off, if you're trying to get to a place and you're not sure they're going to be real sure. And they're, they're going to tell you right away just by where they move, how they act, how they shift their weight. Um, so it kind of really breaks through and accelerates the process. It sounds extremely powerful and it is very powerful right? Yes, it is. And I, I would imagine also it's very transformational. That's why like Equus coaching is, can be such an effective tool to become more vulnerable. Imagine had you done that in this process, Equus coaching in phase one of recovery, phase two of recovery, you know, it's like, but you don't have to be in recovery or anything to to do this work. It's just, you know, if you're just curious about like, I wonder how to engage with life with more courage or confidence and working with the horse, like you're working with clients who I'm sure experience similar things as we all do, like fear and doubt and wants to be more successful or confident in themselves. What have you seen? What have I seen? Meaning what people are working on Mm -hmm. and how they have, what have they left with after working with you and the horse? So I've worked with, um, gosh, I've worked with people around money. I've worked with people around early retirement. 
someone was just going into retirement and, you know, was, was just wanting to figure out how to navigate that without all of the career, you know, <laughs> um, I've worked with grief ruin, you know, our, the horses and I, I'm sorry, the horses and I, we've worked with grieving and we're going to work with a couple here pretty soon. Who's going to come stay at the casita here at Tierra del Alma. And they are going to spend their honeymoon part of it here. And they want to do a couple session that's based around how they want their life to be. Oh my God, how beautiful. So wow. I liked, I like to give that example because it doesn't have to be about, you know, um, a bunch of the, it doesn't have to be about hard stuff or you don't have mm -hmm. to have hard stuff coming up. You could mm -hmm. be entering a marriage. You could be entering a new business. You could be entering some amazing, you know, exciting new part of your life that you want to just expand on even more, or you mm -hmm. want to enter in more intentionally or, um, so it, 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 it can go in any direction. There's such flexibility. Um, but, you know, the word expansive keeps coming up in this conversation, and I'm thinking about it as well. And I, I see that working in this capacity with, with you as a coach and, and horse um, or horses is very expansive. Um, and so this kind of leads us into, like, so you're doing this coaching, um, Equus coaching, and what is next? What is next? Well, what is next, immediately next, is um, workshops and the Transformational Equus Project. We are doing a, how far do you want me to go? No, this is great. So this is what's so, exciting too, right? We get to collaborate. We get to collaborate, you and I, on the uh, Transformational Equus Project. And what is that? How would you describe it? Well, I would, it's, a, it's a, I think it's a badass combination and collaboration between <laughs> Dr. Maylee Hennon and Melissa Vache, Equus coach. And it's mm -hmm. um, coming together of, of, of evidence-based coaching techniques and behavior modification. Mm -hmm. Yes. That, that Dr. Hennon brings to the game <laughs> and um and I'm going to bring the horses. So I think it's a pretty powerful duo. Absolutely. And I it's a privilege to to talk about this and I'm so excited because this is actually happening in June. So in in less than 2 months really um or 2 months as of a t couple of days ago. Um this is June 17th. And it's also going to be on June 18th, a Saturday or a Sunday, you can choose and seating's limited. And here's the topic that we're going to be talking about is something we all experience and fear, right? And some of the things that we have all learned about fear is we don't like it. It fucking feels uncomfortable. Um, and most of us, I know I have, didn't want to feel it have internalized and repressed it, wants to get over it really fast and or doesn't want to acknowledge it at all. And what I often hear people say is, I'm fine. Doesn't fine mean something, right? <laughs> Some acronym. Uh, I won't get into that. But fear, I think, um, to address that, 
and to harness it. And when you hear harness fear, what comes to mind for you? I, what comes to mind for me is, um, like a golden loop around a topic of fear and then an explosion of usefulness and that, that sorry but that's I the like way that. I extract it I, I like you that. know it's not about like I'm gonna harness it and tie it down and manage it it's about like oh wow here's this big circle and then if I can get that circle going around that fear and explore that and then let that explode into next possible steps of mm -hmm. possibility and expansion because right. it's right. A, it's an opening up it's not a tying down it's not a management thing and these can all be metaphors for what we what we do or don't do with horses in the horse world and a harness is used with a horse um but i think about it in this sort of abstract visual way. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful because choosing fear, we all have it. And I think that the whole purpose of doing this project and in, in specific um, addressing fear as a way to, as a tool, as a catalyst, if you will, to transform, to um, develop, to grow in your life, right? I think fear has a bad rap. Uh, really. It's like we want to manage it. We want to control it. It's so powerful. Um, but without it, we won't survive. We need it. And But we also can use it as a motivator to shift. And sometimes, to your point, harnessing fear doesn't mean this huge thing necessarily, because it can be very subtle, like being vulnerable with someone. That is a form of harnessing fear, doing things that are really uncomfortable, but actually can help you in your life, give you more insight, more confidence, um, you know, the ability to, to, to do things that you didn't think you could because you thought you weren't enough or you couldn't do it or, you know, I'm not that kind of person and you compare yourself to others and feel less than part of harnessing fear is using it as a tool to dismantle some of these beliefs that hold people back. I like that. The dismantling of beliefs that hold us back because really that's how I got from there to here. Mm -hmm. That is my story. Um, and so that's why this, this particular workshop is very dear. It's very near and dear to me because it, it, my story really is just a story of dismantling fear and moving into a next phase and dismantling a little more fear and moving into a next phase and that, and following that thread. Um, and I believe that we can all do that and we don't really need to know what the next thing is. You know, if I harness this fear, what's going to come well, sometimes we don't know. And mm -hmm. there, what might come is even better than we would have ever, you know, put on paper for oh, ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and so how can people sign up and, and, and find you and find us on, on to do this workshop? Or if they want to find you um, to do some Equus coaching, what do they do? Well, you can go to my website www.melissavache.com 
And that will probably be on the podcast thing, right? Mm -hmm. All of this will um, be on the notes too, but. Yeah. And in the services pages, you can find the transformational Equus project and it'll talk about the collaboration between me and May Lee. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's a registration page there as well. Um, and more information, more detailed information about what we'll be doing in, in the workshop. Um, also on the website, you can see the casita, you can see my horses, mm -hmm. you can see, learn about Equus coaching or doing an experience here at Tierra del Alma, which would include like food and an overnight at the casita and an Equus coaching or really whatever you wanted to, to design with me that you could dream up. You keep trying and, and that's kind of what your story has been is not to lose faith in yourself. Yeah, I think the core of it was there was um, a will to live. And sometimes that was it. And here we are now. And so the question in the beginning was what was like before recovery. And now I'll say, ask you in a brief answer, how you would describe that now as you have harnessed, if you will, your own recovery. What's that what been? is life like now? Yeah. What's it, what's it like now? what's coming up for me in this moment is this sense of untethered, which was also a theme that I worked on. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't have a million responsibilities from the minute I feed the horses to the minute that I feed them dinner and get everybody in for the night and watch out for the rattlesnakes because it's rattlesnake season. But untethered is really this freedom from shame and constant ju debilitating judgment of myself and the inner critics that mm -hmm. really held me back from feeling and truly embodying an expansive life. So untethered is coming up for me right now. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate you being on my podcast. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and um, we'll be doing this soon. Yay. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me, Maylee. That was really fun. I was, I was nervous and you made it very ease filled. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Maylee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon. <laughs>